This is Sudden Wealth Radio, the first and only broadcast that explores the financial, tax, legal, and psychological issues of Sudden Wealth. Your host, Robert Pagliarini, is the nation's leading Sudden Wealth financial advisor who has earned a national reputation for working with clients who have received windfall from inheritance, divorce, lawsuit, business sale, sports entertainment contracts, stock options, and the lottery. You may have seen Robert on Dr. Phil, Good Morning America, 2020, Katie Couric, or others. And now, here's your host of Sudden Wealth Radio, Robert Pagliarini. Thank you, Odessa. So I understand I have four hours, correct? No? 30 minutes? Okay. So I know you're motivated to learn about how to manage wealth and how to turn it into lasting wealth. But I also know that this is Vegas and you probably have other things that you could be doing right now. So let me make you this promise. Over the next 30 minutes, I'm going to share some ideas with you that I think if you can remember a handful of them, that you're going to know more about how to manage your finances and how to create lasting wealth than 99% of other professional athletes. The reason I was invited here by Adissa is because this is what I do. This is what I've done for almost 20 years. I help people who have experienced a sudden wealth event where they get money sometimes overnight from the sale of a business, from stock options if their company IPO'd, uh, from a lawsuit settlement, from inheritance, from the lottery, and of course also from musicians, actors, and athletes such as yourself. My goal in the next 30 minutes is to give you some ideas on how to think about money a little bit differently. Just a slight shift can sometimes make all the difference. And what I want to do is I want to show you how to take money and to turn it into wealth. And not just wealth, but lasting wealth. So you can create the best life possible for yourself, your loved ones, and your family. But let me tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to pitch you anything, to try to sell you an investment, to try to talk you into a particular strategy over another. That's not why I'm here. I'm here as a favor to help you think about and turn your money that you have today and the money that you're going to make into something that lasts for generations. So let me take you back a little bit. About a year ago, I wrote an article for CBS titled, Why Athletes Go Broke. I wrote this column because over the last 20 years, I've noticed something kind of strange. And that is any time I've seen an article or I've watched a documentary or I've seen a broadcast on athletes and money, it was always the same shit over and over and over. It was always the same four or five reasons of why athletes go broke. Because they're too young. They're not mature enough. They're too irresponsible. They're not smart enough. It's these same reasons that are listed for why athletes struggle financially over and over and over. And I knew when working with clients, hundreds of clients over the past 20 years, that is this why some athletes struggle financially? 
Of course. But is this why, does this explain how all of them struggle financially? Absolutely not. So in doing the research for this piece, I was thinking to myself, well, what makes somebody a good investor? What makes someone good at managing their money? And a few ideas came to mind. And one is that someone really has to understand the areas that they're weak in, that they don't have a lot of knowledge or experience in, and be able to get advice on those areas and to learn and to grow from there. Someone certainly has to be able to delay gratification. They have to know that the hard work they put in today might not pay off tomorrow. It might take a little bit of time. So they need to be patient. They need to be persistent. Uh, They need to definitely be able to work with their other advisors, their CPA, maybe their agent, their attorney, their financial person. So they also need to be able to be focused on a particular goal. Uh, They have to know that it's not about the day-to-day, but it's about this end goal in mind and be able to keep their sights on that. I came up with this list, and as I was looking at it, it hit me. There's another group of people that I know that share these same characteristics of what makes someone a good investor. So who, who also has these same characteristics? Professional athletes. Absolutely professional athletes. Think about it. Hard work can delay gratification. Persistent, goal-oriented, is coachable, can learn from others can be part of a team. So these are characteristics that not only make someone good at managing money, but it's also the characteristics of professional athletes. You would not be here today if you didn't have these attributes. So if that's the case, if these characteristics are very similar, then I have a question for you. Why the hell do so many athletes struggle financially? How, why is that possible? How is that possible? How could it be? Well, let me explain to you one reason. Let me show you something. So um, I'm a huge fan of Bruce Lee. This guy was an amazing athlete. He was also quite the philosopher. And in working with students, What he would do sometimes is he would hold up a a piece of wood, like a a two-by-four, and he would say, if you wanted to punch this and break it, where would you hit it? And he would hold it up. And of course, everyone always says, well, you'd want to hit it right in the middle. You hit it right in the middle, and that will give you the best chance of breaking the board. And Bruce, of course, would say, not so. You do not hit it right in the middle. Then he would take that board, he would turn it a little bit, and he'd say, what you want to do, instead of aiming straight at what you see, instead of targeting your fist right at the middle of the board, you would say, what you'd want to do is you'd want to aim two inches beyond the board, two inches past the board. He said, if you just aim for what's in front of you on the surface, there's a good chance you're not going to break the board. You'll probably hurt your hand. If you aim through the board with your fist, he says, almost every time you will break the board. The lesson, he said, is that we have to sometimes be able to see beyond what is right in front of us. And in working with athletes, what's the one dream 
that they've had ever since they were 10 years old. The thing that they daydreamed about, the thing that basically they became obsessed with since the time they started playing. What is it? To go pro. That's been their dream. That's been their focus, to go pro. But you've all made it. Congratulations. You have achieved that dream. You've achieved that goal. But what happens now that you've reached that point? What's next? We have to start to see beyond. Usually about once a year, I take clients and I take friends and we go on these really amazing adventure trips. We've hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. We've gone ice climbing. We've hiked the Grand Canyon. Uh, Last year, we went to Africa. And our goal was to climb to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, Mount Kilimanjaro is the tallest mountain in Africa. It's about 20,000 feet above sea level. It takes a week to get there. And what I noticed on about day three is that we were all focused on the same thing. Everything that we were talking about was all focused on when are we going to get to the top? How are we going to get to the top? I have to make sure I get to the top. I don't want to hurt myself. I got to get to get to the top. We need to summit. What time are we going to summit? That was our single focus. We became obsessed with getting to the top. That's all we could think about. That's all we could talk about. And I noticed this and I was talking to one of the guides who came with us and I said, isn't this great? We're just a group of people. We're just so focused on getting to the top. And he said, that's actually a problem. And I said, a problem? How could that be a problem? We're type A people. We can see the top of this mountain and we're so focused on it. How is that a problem for us? He said, well, because it's the wrong goal. I said, what are you talking about? It's the wrong goal. We want to get to the top of this mountain. That's our goal. Trust me, it's not the wrong goal. And he said, the goal is not to get to the top of the mountain. He said, the goal is to get to the top of the mountain and then back down. He said, rarely when there are injuries, does it occur when people are on their way to the top of the mountain. He said, almost always, if someone gets hurt, it's after they've got to the top and they're on their way down. He says on the way up, everyone is so focused. They're watching when they're stepping. They're, they're just so obsessed about making sure they get to the top that they don't make any mistakes. But once they get to the top, all of a sudden they relax. They sit back. They can daydream a little bit more. Think about the incredible journey that they've had. They don't, they're not watching where they're walking as well. And that's where the injuries occur. He said, you have to have the right goal. And a little bit later, I'm going to talk about what the goal should be. Because you've made it. You, you are professional athletes. So, but we need to see beyond that. We have to look a little bit further. Let me show you something that I think is going to help you think about money in a new light. Here is what we have is what I call the normal career. So this is not a professional athlete. This is a doctor and it's an attorney. It's a veterinarian. It's a marketing executive. It's a truck driver. It's a normal career. And this is typically what a normal career looks like. What you'll notice is that 
this line represents two things, really. The first thing it represents is human capital. So your human capital is something we each have, some more than others. Uh, human capital are the traits and skills that we have, the things that we're good at, our strengths. It could be our education, our degrees that we hold, the designations we have. Uh, human capital could be our network of contacts. It could be our brand or our reputation. So this is our human capital. This line also represents our salary, our income. So what you'll notice is that when you're young, you have very little human capital. When you come out of school and you get that first job, you know very little. Not only do you not know much, but you also don't earn very much. But over time, you start to learn a little bit more and you start to earn a little bit more. And you see this line go up. So this is, again, a normal career. Now, let's take a look at the career of a professional athlete. So what do you see immediately as some differences? Well, the first big difference that you might see is that everything seems a little bit compressed and condensed. So look at this normal career. These guys can afford to make a mistake in years three or five or 10 or 20. They can afford to quit or get fired or get laid off. They may even go back to school to start a new career. Because everything is so spread out over three or four or even five decades, a mistake here or there, they're easily able to recover from. Now let's look at the professional athletes. Because everything is condensed into a very short period of time, it could be two years, three years, five years, you cannot afford to make a mistake. You don't have the luxury of being able to make a mistake. We need to capitalize on this time. We need to maximize it for all we possibly can. So we have to make some very smart decisions. What are some other differences that you might see? Well, on this normal career, what happens is as you learn a little bit more, you start to make a little bit more. And so you might start off with a small IRA and then maybe your job offers a 401k. So you start to learn about investing a little bit. Maybe you learn about budgeting. Maybe your taxes get a little bit more complicated. So you hire a CPA. So you start working with, with, a, with a CPA or a, or a tax person. Maybe you have children and now you want to do an estate plan. So you're working with an attorney. So this can take years or even decades for someone to get up to speed on managing their finances because they're not earning very much. They can afford to, to spread that education out over time. But as a professional athlete, what happens? On day one, you have to know this stuff. You're working with an attorney, with an agent. You're, you're talking about contracts. You're thinking about how, ways to reduce your taxes. You're investing in stocks. You're buying a house. What took these normal career people decades to learn, you're forced to learn in a matter of weeks or months. Now, that's a challenge. It's, it's also an opportunity, but it's definitely a challenge. Another big difference you'll notice immediately, look at your human capital. Your human capital is off the chart on day one. Normal careers, it can take decades to increase the human capital and start to get paid for it. On day one, 
your human capital is highly valued and you're highly compensated for it. What are some other differences between this normal career and the career of a professional athlete? Well, the thing that you probably notice right off the bat is this, what I call the cliff. This cliff represents the day that you are no longer compensated as a professional athlete. We know this day is coming. It's inevitable. We don't know if it's going to be a year from now, five years from now, or 10 years from now, but we do know this cliff is going to occur. And when that happens, your income stops as a professional athlete. Could you then transition into broadcasting or could you go back to school? Could you start a business? Yes, there are lots of other things you could do after your career as a professional athlete. But this just highlights your career as an athlete and ultimately, eventually, you're not going to make income doing what you're doing today. Let me draw something for you that if you remember this, this you can forget everything else I say, but if you remember this one thing, you will be light years ahead of being able to manage your money and to create lasting wealth. This blue line I just drew, what do you think it represents? Maybe net worth? Uh, could it be your income from being an athlete? It's actually neither of those things. This blue line, don't ever forget this blue line. This blue line is your lifeline. This blue line represents the money your money makes. This blue line represents the income that is generated from the assets that you own. You need to focus on this blue line more than anything else. If your advisors are not talking to you about this blue line, you need them to be talking to you. You need them to be providing you with monthly reports that track this. Become obsessed with it. Like I was obsessed with getting to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. I want you to be obsessed with this blue line because this is the goal. If we wanted a goal to focus on, this is it. Because look what happens. Your income as a professional athlete will stop. That's why we need this blue line to go up as quickly and as steep as possible. Because this blue line is going to take over. It's going to pay for your living expenses. It's going to pay for your house, for your cars. It's going to pay for your vacations. We need to focus on this blue line because my goal for each and every single one of my clients is for them to be able to have as much income from their investments as they were as a professional athlete. That's the goal we're aiming for. Focus on this blue line. Become obsessed with it. But what creates this blue line? Assets. We need lots of assets in order to produce the income that creates this blue line. But the problem is there are people, there are situations and events that are coming after your assets. People are going to try to take these assets from you. I call them threats. I have a client who calls them something else. I'm not going to tell you what he calls them, but let's just call them threats for now. Anytime we work with a new client, we do a threat matrix where we look at the specific situation of that client and we look for weaknesses, 
for holes in their plan, for things that could destroy their finances overnight. We want to know what those weaknesses are so we can create strategies to protect them. And you've all heard of the common threats to your wealth, things like divorce. Of course, if you're getting married, you want to have a premarital agreement. If you're married, you can have a postmarital agreement. Even if you're living with somebody, you need to have something called a cohabitation agreement. Because if you don't, it is possible for a judge to force you to pay them support, even if you break up, even if they move out. We know divorce can wipe our assets away overnight. What else could? Lawsuits. We want to make sure that you have entities structured properly, LLCs, maybe an asset protection trust. Make sure you have umbrella liability insurance. So divorce, lawsuits. I mean, there are a lot of common ones that you're probably already familiar with. I'm sure your advisors are already uh, talked to you about and have addressed. But Let's talk about those threats that are just as damaging, but that few people are talking about. Take a look at this. We all know what an asset is and a liability is. Assets are the things that you own and liabilities are the things that you owe. So what I want to tell you is that I think there's a better way to think about assets and liabilities something that is more intuitive and that also can protect you. So let's go down the list. What are some examples of assets? Investment real estate, definitely an asset. Stocks, bonds, mutual funds that you have, private companies that you invest in, uh, cash or money market accounts, um, education. Education increases your human capital. That's an asset. Well, what are some examples of liabilities then? Your house having too large of a house, your automobiles, um, if you own a boat, uh, vacation homes that you have, timeshares, restaurants, uh, bars, a private jet, expensive memberships that you have to pay each and every month, uh, even supporting your family and friends on an ongoing basis. These are liabilities. So really then, what's the difference between an asset and a liability? Because if, if you thought that liabilities are something that you owe, what if you paid cash for that vacation home? That's not, a, that's not a liability then, is it? It is. Under my definition, it absolutely is. So what is the difference between an asset and liability? Assets put money in your pocket every month. You are compensated when you own an asset. They pay you. Money goes into your bank account when you own an asset. Liabilities suck money from you on an ongoing basis. They take money. You pay to own a liability. Let's look at a vacation home. Maybe you buy it in all cash, but you still have to pay for it every single month. You have property taxes, you have insurance, you have upkeep and maintenance. You have homeowner's dues. This is not an asset. This is a liability because you pay to own it. What about timeshares? There's fees with those. Supporting family and friends, it's an ongoing expense. These are liabilities. We have to make sure that we minimize the 
amount of liabilities that we have and focus on purchasing assets. Because assets are the things that create that nice, dark, steep blue line that we should be focused on and obsessed about. Will we own liabilities? Of course we're going to own liabilities. Do you really need a car that goes from 0 to 60 in 3.2 seconds? No, you don't. But if you can afford it, then why not? See, I'm a little bit different than your average financial advisor. Most financial advisors will say, save, 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 don't spend any money, and then maybe 20 or 30 years from now, you'll have a really nice retirement. That's crazy. That's ludicrous. That's not how we think. We don't think in terms of 20 or 30 years from now. That's why most people don't even save for retirement. We need to understand the psychology of money, and we need to understand how we think about money in order for this plan to really work for us. Because we can talk a big game about save, 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 but what's the first thing that you want to do when someone says you can't do something? They're going to do it anyway. So we need to understand that. Life is too short. We are here for a very limited amount of time. We need to enjoy this as much as possible, but we need to do it responsibly. If you can afford it, then do it. This is a threat. Most people don't understand the difference between an asset and a liability, and they get suckered into thinking that they're buying assets when they're really not. That's a big threat. What's another threat that nobody is talking about? Well, we all know that when we hit it big, who comes calling for a handout, for a loan? Who's pitching you on the latest investment? It's your family and your who? Your friends, that's right. But let me tell you something. The biggest threat to creating lasting wealth, it's not your poor friends. It's your rich friends. Your rich friends are a bigger threat than your poor friends. How is that possible? How does that make sense? It's been said that we are the average of the five people we're closest to. Look at it this way. If we're down here financially and all of our friends are up here financially, what's going to happen? I call it financial creep because we're going to creep up to their level. We may start to buy the same types of clothes that they do, maybe the same kind of car. We might take up the same expensive hobbies that they do, go on the same vacations that they go on. We may even move into the same neighborhood that they're in. Our expenses are going to creep up to meet theirs. And this is natural. It's normal. It's hardwired within us. We are social creatures. We're constantly looking at others and learning from them and modeling from them. This is in us. It's in our DNA. This is all about evolution and natural selection because the people who are able to look at and see and learn from others about what worked and what didn't, those are the ones who survived. You and I do it all the time. Here's the crazy thing. It's not just you and I. It's not just humans that do this. Animals do it too. The best video I've ever seen on YouTube 
illustrates what I'm talking about here in a way that will have you on the floor laughing. So imagine this. You have two monkeys in separate cages and a researcher, and everyone can see each other. The researcher gives the first monkey a slice of cucumber. The monkey grabs this and starts to eat it. Monkeys, they love cucumbers. It's great. The researcher then takes a grape and gives it to the second monkey. Second monkey grabs this and devours it. Because while monkeys like cucumbers, they love grapes. It's like candy to them. So the first monkey is looking at this and, you know, doesn't really think much of it. The researcher then takes another cucumber slice, gives it to the first monkey. First monkey takes it a little more slowly this time, starts to eat it. But now he's watching the researcher and his buddy, the other monkey over there, much more closely this time. The researcher then takes another cucumber and gives it to the second monkey. Again, the second monkey grabs it. He's chewing it and juice is flowing down his face. He's loving it. Now you watch the first monkey and you can tell something's going on in his head. You can tell something is not right. He's trying to figure out why he's getting cucumber slices and his buddy is getting grapes. Finally, the researcher takes yet another cucumber slice and gives it to the first monkey. First monkey takes it, looks at it, looks back at the researcher and throws this cucumber slice through the cage and it hits the researcher right on the chest. This monkey is pissed off. He, is, he does not understand why he is stuck. He is forced to eat this cucumber when his friend over there gets grapes. How, how, that's not fair. He is so agitated. He's shaking the cage. He is just beside himself with anger. And if you think about it, two minutes before this, he was thrilled with this cucumber. He was on top of the world. Look at me. I'm eating my cucumber. And now two minutes later, he is just upset beyond control. Why? It's called relative deprivation. Relative, meaning we know them. We can see them. We're friends with them. And deprivation, meaning we don't think we're getting what we deserve. Social comparison. We're constantly comparing ourselves to those in our immediate circle. Looking for areas where we're not getting what we think we deserve. And if we see those areas, we either get upset or we do something about it. Let me give you a real world example of this. Imagine someone who's worked hard for many, many years with this goal of wanting to buy a Porsche 911. This has been their dream. It's been their dream car for years. And now they've saved. And they drive into that Porsche dealership and they throw down $100,000 and they drive off in their brand new Porsche 911. The windows are down, the radio's up, they're cruising around and they're loving life. They feel so proud of this car that they're in, they could not be happier. And they notice, uh uh-oh, it's time for practice. So they drive into the parking lot and they pull up next to what? A fancier car, a faster car, a more expensive car. And they get out of their Porsche, they shut their door, and in an instant, it happens. 
and you know what it is. We've felt it before. We feel it often. It's that feeling of, uh, it's not quite good enough. What we have is just not enough now because there's this something else over here that makes what I have just not quite good enough anymore. This happens to you and I all the time. There's another piece of research. Fascinating. Researcher asked people, would you rather make 100000 a year or 75000 a year? Of course, everyone says they want to make 100000 Researcher says, okay, well, let me give you two different options then. Would you rather make 100000 a year, but your friends make 150000 a year, or would you rather make 75000 a year, but your friends make 50000 a year? The majority of people said, I'd rather make 75 if my friends made 50. Most people would rather make less money as long as they were making more than their friends. This is hardwired within us. We need to know that this is a serious threat to our finances. Because the guy with the Porsche, you know what's going to happen. Three months after he bought the car, he's going to sell it at a huge loss. loss. Then he's going to go out and borrow more, lease a car that's much more expensive than he can afford. This is a, this is a threat that we're not even conscious about. It's like having a computer and having a virus that's running in the background that we're not even aware of, but that's destroying us financially. The next time you buy something, really think about this. Ask yourself, why do I want this? What is it about it? Do I want it or am I just buying it so I look better? So I'm keeping up. It's a huge, huge threat. In addition to threats, let's talk about ways that we can keep and create lasting wealth. I mean, there are a lot more threats. If I had more time, we would go through them. But just know that there are many more threats that are looking to destroy your finances and your assets. And you need to have a plan to make sure that you can decrease those threats build entities, build structures, build habits to try to protect yourself from them. Let's talk about briefly the six keys to creating lasting wealth. The first is you've got to minimize. We have to minimize the liabilities that we own. We talked about that. We want to focus on assets. We need to minimize the complexity. In working with a new client, I'll often find that there is so much complexity that nothing makes sense, that there is no overall strategy. We have to minimize expenses and fees. Nine times out of 10, when I'm working with a client, I see that they're paying far too much for the advice that they're getting. Two, we want to manage. We have to have somebody manage this entire process. Someone who's focused on that blue line, who will create reports, who manages your assets and your liabilities and your, and your investments. Three, we need a mentor. We talked about social comparison. Let's use that to our advantage. Rather than be manipulated by it, let's manipulate that concept so it works for us. How can we do that? Is there somebody in your life that's making smart financial decisions? Someone that you can sort of partner up with who can become part of the five closest people that you interact with. If there's no one like that, think about one of your advisors. Maybe the CPA, maybe your agent, your investment person. Have them mentor you. Have them coach you on finances and what makes a good financial decision versus a bad financial decision. 
Number four key to create lasting wealth is meaning. Let me ask you a question. Who thinks right now that you could beat me at arm wrestling? Raise your hand. Come on. Who do you think that you could beat me at arm wrestling? Pretty much all of you. Okay. Well, why is that? Why do you think that if we sat down right now, put our elbows on the table, clasped hands, and and when they said go, that you could beat me at arm wrestling? Why do you think that? It's because you're stronger. Because you know that you're stronger. That's the kind of confidence. That's the kind of attitude that you need with your money. There is an epic battle that's occurring on a daily basis. And that battle is over your money. The person who has a stronger sense of what money means to them will win in that interaction every single time. You need to have a strong why about what it is you do and why you do it. You need to have an understanding of what money means to you. Now, I don't know what money means to you, but for me, money means freedom. If you think back over history, the people with the money always had the freedom. Money means opportunities. It means flexibility. It means experiences. Money often means the difference between having good health care and substandard health care. Money can quite literally mean the difference between life or death. Having money means you can go to better schools. Your children can go to better schools. You can live in a better neighborhood, a safer neighborhood. That's what money means to me. Figure out what money means to you because I guarantee you this. Money and having a strong sense of what it means to you will change how you think about spending it. If you have a strong sense of what money means to you, you will be less likely to buy things that don't add value to your life. Five, master plan. We know this cliff is going to come where you're no longer a professional athlete. We know that's going to happen. So we need to start thinking about what's beyond that, as Bruce Lee would say. What's beyond your career as a professional athlete? Think about the master plan. There's no better time to focus on that master plan than now. Work with people who understand your career as an athlete and your career after you're an athlete. Focus on that. Work on that today. And finally, in almost 20 years of working with clients, I've noticed one thing. There's a single characteristic that I've found that helps someone lead an amazing, successful joyful life. It's one characteristic and that's gratitude. Gratitude, simply being thankful for what you have. People with gratitude, when they start thinking about what they're thankful for, their brain chemistry changes. A neurotransmitter called dopamine is released. Dopamine is the feel-good drug in the brain. We feel better about ourselves. We feel better about our situation. People who are more uh, grateful are healthier. They spend less money. I go all over the world through my nonprofit called the Band of Brothers. We go to amazing places. And I've seen some things that I wish I could forget, honestly. I've gone to places like Burma and Cambodia and the Philippines and Malaysia and Indonesia. 
And I've seen kids who will walk seven, eight miles a day to a a local garbage dump where, where they will, for 12 hours, sift through the garbage looking for food, looking for things to recycle so they can earn a few pennies and bring it back to their family. These are young boys and girls, five years old, six years old. You have an amazing opportunity. I don't know where you came from, but I can tell you this. Standing here today before you is the last place in the world I thought I would be as a child. I'm talking to professional athletes about how to manage money. When I was a child, we had no money. My father left when I was about five years old, left my mother and five children, and she had to raise us on her own. I mean, thank God for government cheese because we lived on that stuff. So how can you become more grateful? It's to think back to those times when you weren't a professional athlete, when you didn't have everything. You may not have had the same experience that I did, but I know that each and every single one of you has struggled at some point, that's faced hurdles, that's had some kind of hardship. You might not experience that now, but to be grateful about where you are and what you've come from, go back to those times where things weren't so easy where you had to struggle. That's how to create gratitude in your life. And finally, you sacrifice too much. You've worked too hard and you risk too much on a daily basis. You want to get this right. Make sure you have the right team working for you. The team that's passionate about what you do and about managing your money. You want to focus on that blue line. Become obsessed with that blue line. Make sure your advisors are also obsessed with it. You want a team who works as hard for you as you do for your money. Your goal should be to create lasting wealth, not just for the next few months or the few years after you retire, but for your lifetime, for your children's lifetime. We have an amazing opportunity here. Take advantage of it. Do whatever you can to create the best life possible for yourself and your family. This was Sudden Wealth Radio. If you feel overwhelmed because of a recent windfall or are looking for better strategies to grow your assets, Robert and his firm have developed a national reputation for providing financial planning and investment management to clients globally. They are more than happy to answer any questions, big or small. So if you have a question about how they work or a question about your own situation, go to www.pacificawealth.com or email Robert directly at robert at pacificawealth.com.